This is the Education Gadfly Show. Isn't this just like, oh, the Washington elite patting itself on the back for being so smart? What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our hosts for this week, the Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep of Education Reform, Chad Alderman and Alyssa Schwenk. Hey, Mike. Hello. Welcome. Hey, hey, hey. You know, that reference, of course, to uh, the movie The Post. I am so excited. I am so excited. This is something I nerd out about. I am super excited. This is about Watergate. Pentagon Papers. Okay. The Pentagon (laughs) Papers. Oh, is that right? Oh, oh, so not Watergate. Oh, my bad. A couple of years before, yeah. Listen to that. Okay. Interesting. But uh, you're excited about this? Isn't this just like, oh, the Washington elite patting itself on the back for being so smart and, you know. No, no, no. It's a heartwarming tale. It's so good. I wrote like 11 papers between like seventh grade and my senior thesis on this topic. My cat is named after a reporter from the 60s. I'm like really, really excited. In case my nerdiness wasn't clear. We work at a think tank, Mike. Come on. That's cool. That's cool. I like it. Hey, I should introduce some uh, the appropriate lead chat. Alderman, a principal, not a school principal, but no. a principal as in, I don't know what that means, consulting talk at Bellwether Education Partners, where he works on their th- policy and thought leadership team. Really? Really, Chad? Which one? The principal? I mean, principal and then thought leadership. Really? All in your title? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> not all my choice. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, a principal is is like a senior consultant. Something a principal like that. is your pal. That's how I learned how to spell the word. Principal, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not the greatest title given the field we work in. Yeah. But, uh, our team also has strategic advising uh, work, and so yeah. it fits better with that one. Oh, my goodness. No, well, just like give you a hard time. But Chad <laughs> is here, among other things. You've been on the show before. We've talked about accountability. We've talked mm-hmm. about charter quality, other stuff over the years. Today, we are talking about ESSA plans. So let's get right to it. It's time for the Ed Reform Update. All right, Chad. So you led a project, a very ambitious project, I have to say. Congratulations mm-hmm. on, on bringing it to its conclusion uh, to review all 51 state ESSA plans. This was in partnership with the Collaborative for Student Success. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had uh, dozens of peer reviewers helping you uh, looking at these plans and then uh, weighing in. And the issue here is that uh, your effort and our effort at Fordham to do something somewhat similar a few weeks ago may have people out there confused. Because whereas we declared that we thought that most uh, that that a surprising number of state plans mm-hmm. were good to great, that this was a big victory for education reformers, that we've actually made accountability systems better. Uh, your headline said that states had squandered, mostly squandered, their opportunity under ESSA. What explains the discrepancy, Chad? In other words. Go ahead and say it. We were right and you were wrong. I'm not going to say it in those <laughs> blunt terms. <laughs> Just teasing. I think we were looking at different aspects of it and, and your review was looking at particular aspects of <laughs> state plans yeah. and uh, ours was looking at more aspects, I yes. would say. And that's um, true. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's true. All right, well, let's get, so so that's right. Yours was more comprehensive. Ours was narrowly focused on the school ratings. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, you looked at a lot more than that. So let's talk about the school ratings that we we agreed on some things, disagreed on others. Uh, Seems like we both agree that an impressive number of states have some, have clear ratings Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, things like A to F or five stars or one to 100 or something like that. 
I, especially given that they didn't have to do that at all. They could just have dashboards of data, which a, a handful of states have as well. Uh, so we agree about that. And we agree that states moved pretty aggressively in the direction of growth. We probably would have liked to have seen even more uh, aggressiveness there, uh, but that that's going to be good in terms of uh, doing a better job evaluating schools' impact on achievement. It also is a, a good way to indicate uh, that all kids matter, not just kids near the proficiency bar. So all in agreement there so far? I think for the most part. There might be a couple things. All right. So, so, but, I feel but, like you guys should be in like chairs sitting across <laughs> from each other and like when you agree, you take a step closer and when you disagree, you take a step farther apart. Uh, that sounds like just something saying. they do in Teach for America training or something. Alessa, You're so. still on the school uh, stick. <laughs> all right. We're not drinking the Kool-Aid today. All right. So, but when it comes to the accountability itself, what else were you looking at and and where do you, that, that you could argue, you know, we were missing, you know, we, we should have looked at as well or that we're being too optimistic. So I would, I would say a couple of things. One, I'd argue we drilled down a, a little bit deeper into those rating systems. So mm-hmm. not just does the state have a rating system, but what are they using it for? Are all of the components within it completed? Uh, we found a lot of states where either the indicators aren't finalized, mm-hmm. they haven't set specified how they're going to... Um, like what their numerator and denominator are. For oh, details, indicator. details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, math. or specifically like how uh, indicators will roll up into a larger yeah. overall system. We also looked in this 34, uh, this round of th- with 34 states, yeah. only one state could tell us how their systems will actually play out. So while they put things on paper, they haven't either, either haven't had run the numbers yet yeah. or... Uh, they've run the numbers, but they're not telling anyone yet. So they're mm-hmm. not on their state website. Like how many uh, schools are projected to get A's versus mm-hmm. F's? Right, sort of right, thing. right. So that distribution is still to come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you certainly look at subgroup performance. Uh, that's not something we looked at. What do you think? Is this, is this still important? Or uh, are you guys just basically saying, you know, we really just want to go back to No Child Left Behind? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we had a diversity of opinion on this. I mean, we had uh, 45 different <laughs> peers and some of yeah. them would be closer to, would prefer something closer to No Child Left Behind, I think. Yeah. But overall, I think we were looking for some inclusion of subgroups, how you were going to do that. And um, again, I think we were open to different approaches. Four of the 34 states included some upfront weighting of subgroups, mm-hmm. which means that 30 states did not. Another four states had um, the bottom quartile of students, which will capture mm-hmm. a lot of low-performing students. Um, but the, the remainder had little specificity on what their rules would mean. So yep. they they all have to do ESSA's back-end checks of targeted support or additional targeted support schools. Mm-hmm. But again, only one state could tell us how many schools they'll actually identify for any purpose. Um Mm -hmm. So I think you've mentioned this on Twitter and we've kind of discussed it internally is this question over should state put everything in their ESSA plan that they plan on doing, i.e. should it be a ceiling of like everything that they want to do, how they're going to completely transform education or is it a floor? Is it the bare minimum that they're going to report to the feds? And I think you two probably would take a step back if you were in your chairs across the room from each other on this one. No, that, that's right. I mean, so this, you know, moving beyond the accountability stuff, uh, everything else you guys reviewed uh, is stuff that we generally did not review. And the reason is I didn't believe any of it. In other words, <laughs> I didn't think these plans were necessarily great indicators of what states intend to do when it comes to addressing chronic school failure or uh, working on teacher quality issues or anything else that they were incentivized to say as little as possible uh, so that they didn't have to go back to the feds at a later date to get their permission to change their plans. Uh, what, what, what's your take on this? So I get that. I mean, I get some of that fear and the theory behind that. However, I would say that 
again, we're two years into this, and it's not like states have secret plans out there that they're like on oh, their website, do, but they they're do. not releasing. <laughs> and, and I would say it's also bad that they haven't shown their secret plans to their stakeholders. I mean, a lot of these systems have to be live in six or eight months, and the fact that they're not ready yet is concerning to me. It It's going to surprise a lot of folks about what schools are identified and all those sorts of questions about what happens next. I also think that if states weren't willing to make tough decisions now in the spotlight, like when the spotlight's off next summer, when you and I aren't doing these reviews and when the department has Mm -hmm. already approved the plans, then it'll be tougher to make hard decisions then as opposed to now. Yeah. Look, and no, and and look, and then part of this is about, do they put in the plan or not? The other part of it is just my, my own view that some of this stuff is, is make believe, right? You know, give us your plan for how you're going to equalize teacher quality across schools. Hey, guess what? You're not. Okay, because in order to do that, in my opinion, you would have to completely overhaul your school finance system in most of these places, pushing, you know, millions more dollars to low Mm -hmm. uh, income schools Uh, and states are by and large not going to do that. Right. Uh, So uh, they're lying is my view. Same with the goals. You know, tell us your goals. Well, they're incentivized, I guess, because people like you go back and look (laughs) at their goals to make these promises about how they're going to get 100% of kids to the, you know, to PhDs Mm -hmm. by the year 2050 or whatever. And (laughs) and again, I just don't think that we should put much stock in that. That in fact, uh, if you wanted to set realistic goals, uh, they'd look pretty humble in many cases. And then groups like yours or others would give them a hard time for that. So, you know, I just, I, I just feel like there's parts of this process that, uh, you know, are, are kind of uh, make-believe and, and that we should treat it as such. Um, yeah, I, I find Chad, whole- was now, uh, you know, 50 yards away from me <laughs> in Alyssa's game. So I, I find the goals conversation pretty frustrating. Like, we can't uh, have a debate about whether goals are actionable or achievable if we don't have any historical data. And most states didn't give us any data. So it's yeah. just looking at... Does this dartboard look good to you or not? As opposed to, yeah. like, in my view, is we shouldn't have asked them to do it in the first place. I think it's a stupid exercise. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's a good exercise. Ideally, they would have used some data to make mm. their goals as opposed to just throwing darts at a dartboard. Uh, the one thing I will say is on the school improvement plans, the fact that they weren't willing to put specifics into their plan and commit to a timeline or here's what will happen means they're not giving signals to schools and they're also, again, mm-hmm. not committing to tough action. Well, here, here, let's talk about that. One, one last thing and then we really mm-hmm. do have to go, but it's, it's just, I, I am not super optimistic that many states have the political wherewithal to close low-performing schools uh, and it may not have the capacity to do so. I mean, what you want to do if you're going to close a school is what a good charter school authorizer would do. That's not not just look at the numbers, but really know that school inside and out. Uh, we are we do this as an authorizer here at Fordham, and I was in a school last week uh, going through a process like this. I, I just don't know that states are the the place to do this by and large. But guess what? If you are aggressive about starting high quality schools in neighborhoods with lots of low performing schools, the bad schools eventually do go away. I mean, that is happening. That is one of the great successes yeah. of the last 20 years is a lot of bad schools have, have gone away because of competition from charter schools. So that should be the strategy. You know, whether a state wants to put that down in writing or not, I don't know. But that's the secret plan, Chad. That's I, it. I, I mean, I would agree with you on that strategy. I would have loved to see a state say that in their plan. Mm-hmm. And I, here's another thing. I think we would both agree on the direct student services. We want to see more states take that up and use that flexibility. There was only one state that even mentioned of the 34, and it's not taking it. So yeah. out of the whole thir- 51 states, we counted two that are committed mm-hmm. to using the direct student services set aside. So All you're right. still on that whole squandered opportunity <laughs> bandwagon, huh? I mean, so 
But kind of to wrap this all up, do you see any of the plans not getting approved by the Department of Education? Um, I think it's not clear to me what their bright lines will be. Mm -hmm. I mean, Colorado is still not approved in the first round uh, due to how they're calculating their achievement indicator. Um, There's some other bright lines that I would have thought they would hold on to, but they they have not always. Hmm. So. Chad, I'm willing to say. Yeah, we'll see. I guess Florida, a lot of people think Florida is. Florida is one that seems to be, yeah, like the Florida does not include English language proficiency in their accountability system. That seems like a big one. That seems like a pretty clear. Okay. TBD. We'll be back next time. Yes. All right. Thanks so much, Chad. Appreciate it. And uh, folks can find your review on on the Bellwether uh, website, uh, or you can just skip that and go to Fordham's at at Excellence. Or you can go to Check State Plans. It's a good way to Check State Plans. All right. Great. Thanks for joining us, Chad. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. So, uh, yeah, are, any movies you're looking forward to over the holidays? I mean, no, I, I just feel like I'm out of the loop. I, I've been watching a lot of Marvel comic movies. Huh. I'm just, I don't know, I've just gotten into their action-oriented, mm-hmm. and they have a little bit of sci-fi, and they're not, like, junky. Well, so I'm, I'm excited it. about the Star Wars movie. It's getting great reviews. It looks good. It's, I will probably I get mean, dragged every, to it. I'll probably go to that. I mean, everybody's going to go to that, right? Yes. Especially people of a certain generation that yeah. we are in okay. Amber. sci-fi nerdery knows no like bounds you can be a two-year-old star wars fan or an 80-year-old star wars All fan. Right. Yes. but as a gen xer you're sort of morally required yeah so. it'll be good <laughs> it, it will be good all right amber what you got for us this uh, week we got a new report called educator political perceptions a national survey and it's just that a nationally representative survey of teachers school and district leaders um i was looking for the response rate which is so dorky mm-hmm. but i couldn't find it but it has a margin of error plus or minus five percent for those people who care about that. Uh, the okay. questions ask education employees a variety of questions about how they voted in the 2016 presidential election and what they think about various hot-button political issues that are raging today because, quote, teachers have the power to shape a new generation of young voters, end quote. I'm sure nothing divisive is going to be in this study. <laughs> Lots of stuff like that. Um, I've got 10 quick highlights, and I will make them quick. Number one, respondents were equally likely to describe themselves as liberal versus conservative. So e- equally likely, likely, which is kind of interesting. Yet 41% say they are Democrats, and 27% say they are Republicans. Huh. About 30% say they're independents. And then when you get down into who voted for whom, 50% voted for Clinton, 29% for Trump, 8% didn't vote. Crazy, come on. And 13% voted for a third-party candidate. Number two, not surprisingly, of the issues they were asked about, 83% overall said that education was important in deciding for them who they were going to vote for, their Mm -hmm. teachers, that makes sense? Um, Healthcare and the economy rounded out the top three. Number three, in terms of favorability, 80% of Trump voters have a favorable view of him. Well, okay. Okay. While point two, and that was point two percent of Hillary voters do. Uh, Did I was, that show up on the graph? I mean, I was squinting really hard uh, the bar graph. I'm like, is that something down there or is that a smudge on my paper? Uh, anyhow, yet Betsy DeVos has lower favorability ratings. Her favorability ratings among Trump voters 
is just 30%. Hmm. And among Hillary voters, just 2%. Uh, Number four, neither Trump nor Hillary voters give the Republican or Democratic Party an A grade with how each handles education issues. Yet Clinton voters were more likely to assign Republicans an F than Trump voters were likely to assign Democrats an F. And who says teachers are easy graders? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number five, a third of teachers overall say their union does not reflect or reflects only a little of their political views. 68% say it represents their views, Mm -hmm. some or a lot. Sounds about right. Number six, this is the choice bit. Both Clinton and Trump voters say they're opposed to the formation of charter schools. That's exactly how it was worded. Mm -hmm. 64% Trump, 80% Clinton oppose. Mm. The voucher question was also high opposition, but I just dug into the wording and it didn't specify whether the money would be used for poor or needy kids. It was just all kids. So Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was kind of unfair. And then Trump voters were split on the question of supporting tuition tax credits, but even some Clinton voters, about 28% supported them. So that was did they surprise. tell them what a tax credit is? Um, I didn't see that they did, huh. actually. Uh, number seven, the immigration question was, I thought, dumb. It was, do you think immigration is a good thing or a bad thing for schools? Period. Yeah. End of question. So you saw 66% of Trump voters saying their view was mixed. 63% of Clinton voters saying good. Uh, number eight, do you suppo- support or oppose DACA, which was described as law-abiding citizens brought over by undocumented parents? 91% support by Clinton voters, 37% support by Trump voters, and 20% Trump voters say they neither support nor oppose. Hmm. On LGBT issues, there was a transgender question, and they were asked which represented your view. 78% of Hillary voters say transgender kids should be allowed to use the restroom or locker of the gender of which they identify. 85% of Trump voters say they should use the restroom or locker of the gender they were born into. Uh, Regarding opposing or supporting gay, lesbian, or bisexual teachers to be out with their students and colleagues, 78% of Clinton voters support, 26% of Trump voters support, uh, but yet the remaining are split between neither support nor oppose. Okay. Anyway, finally, I'll end on some agreements. (laughs) All right. Uh, Clinton and Trump voters both support. What do we think? Common Core? Common standards. Hey. Standards. <laughs> you know it wasn't core. Cool. Uh, and they both assign similar grades to their schools and similar grades to the nation's schools with the same thing we always see. Higher for their own schools. And equal percentages say that their own district schools funding is what? Bad, bad, too poor, too low. There you huh. have it. <laughs> Interesting. So they agree on most education things, or at least they agree more on education things than they do on culture war issues. That's right. Makes sense. Yes. Uh, Fitting into 2017 right now. Well, you know, (laughs) I try. Yeah. No. And and then they have some things about they, you know, do do they feel it's appropriate to teach uh, about politics in the classroom? Uh, And it seemed like there was some, generally some hesitancy, which is what you want, right? You want teachers to be worried about overdoing it. Yes. Um, Though I'm sure this has not been easy this year, given uh, the state of the world. Was there anything about civics education? Like, important to teach kids to show up? I did not see that. I kind of thumbed through the whole thing. So, Uh didn't see that. I just really think they just tried to ask about everything that's possibly divisive this year. (laughs) (laughs) They they hit a pretty good list. (laughs) Yes, they did. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, we cannot wait until uh, next time when we get to hear Amber's uh, review of the best education uh, research. I know, it's so much fun going through all the studies yeah, and looking yeah. at them again. If you've got so. suggestions, send them in on Twitter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but we are taking next week off. This might be our first week off all year. Huh. 
uh, for the holidays. So until 2018, I'm Alyssa Schwenk. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.